Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for another season one episode, Two Infected Podcast. Uh, Aaron, this week, I don't know if you're aware, it's the feedback episode, or this time it's the feedback episode. Uh, I assume there's just loads of feedback to go through. Yeah, I went through the forest that is our email box and carefully looked under all the root clusters of trees, and I just harvested so much fungus. Um, nice. Pages uh, and pages, open and pages market. of it. Man, you could make a killing with that stuff. It's true. This is true. Um, all organic, free-range fungus right in our inbox. T-L-O-U at baldmove.com. That's T-L-U uh, is how you send us feedback. And uh, without further ado, let's begin. Also, by the way, we are putting... Uh, anything that re- deals with the games at the very end of the the the, the podcast and the spore lore edition. So uh, if you if you got if if, um, if you're afraid that we'll spoil stuff, uh, try try to assuage that fear. It's all safely contained, and we're gonna be mm-hmm. fine until the fungus can <laughs> learns how to migrate beyond the sixty minute barrier or something. I don't know. Well, look, if you uh, step outside of the QZ, it's your fault. Yes, yeah, true. That's true. I mean, Fedra is doing all they can to keep you in. Uh, mm-hmm. Just you got you just got to hit stop when when you hear us talking spore lore. All right. Uh, first up is Brad. He says, for all, all the criticisms I heard from multiple podcasts and not just your show about The Last of Us, you'd think the greatest crime was not the shooting of Sarah nor Fedra's hangings. It's the serving of oatmeal raisin cookies. Mm-hmm. I must state my unequivocal support for the great oatmeal raisin cookie. Sure, not everyone makes a great cookie, oatmeal raisin or otherwise, but I myself have been known to whip up an excellent batch. Anecdotal data. Even my local grocery store has an in-store bakery that has a great tasting one. I submit that there's no better companion to the flavor, texture, and consistency of oatmeal than the raisin. An even better match than the chocolate chip. Sure, chocolate chip cookies are perfection, but if you use an oatmeal, use raisins. Leave us oatmeal raisin lovers alone and turn your focus to the real villain of the show, the mushroom. I avoid mushrooms whenever possible. To put it simply, as a seven-year-old, any seven-year-old knows, mushrooms are gross. Keep your attention to true evil in real life. No one ever died from eating an oatmeal raisin cookie. Uh, I, a, a, a Bald Move fan, Cobra told you on, on Twitter, uh, was incensed about this take too, and they did an impromptu poll. And I saw it going around their friend circles, and I'm like, I can't let these oatmeal raisin lovers get away with tipping the scales. So I I retweeted this on my personal account and Bald Move account. Mm-hmm. We got over 400 responses. I was shocked that 34% of respondents claimed that they love oatmeal raisin cookies. <sighs> That's high. 25% said, they right. Uh, 17% mm. said meh, and only 24% said nasty AF. This is shocking to me. I would have thought that you would have low double digits, like in the teens of people loving, and you would have uh-huh. high double digits of people saying they're nasty. I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know what to say. I. I, I. There must be some inverse relationship between how people feel about oatmeal cookies and how they feel about Subway sandwiches, because I've never gone into a Subway and they've been out of oatmeal raisin. Frequently, uh-huh. I go into Subway and they're out of chocolate chip. So, what gives? But before we release this podcast, we should put up a poll to see how many people on our Twitter actually like Subway sandwiches. 
or or eat subway sandwiches on a semi-regular basis because yeah we it'll be tainted once we put this podcast up because then people yeah. will go vote but if we do it now we can still get in and we can find if there's a correlation because i think you're right i think there's something about the the sub average quality of an oatmeal raisin cookie and the sub average quality of a subway sandwich no pun intended that attracts the same kind of weirdos but, but to, then why, to the food. why aren't the oatmeal raisins just flying? Because you're, you're right. I'm not holding up Subway as it's it's just the only place I know <laughs> where you can just go and get oatmeal raisin cookies, uh-huh, whatever the yeah. fuck you want. Well, well, why do you why think that aren't... is? They're making bad food anyway. Why not just put more in there? Put more in the store. <laughs> anyway, I, I, like I said, this is uh, this is this is shocking to me. I've always hated oatmeal raisin cookies. I do like oatmeal chocolate. It's not against. It's not about the oatmeal. It's about the raisin. The dried fruit in in a cookie, um, yeah. It's got, like a fruit cake. No one likes a fruit cake, and it's essentially people, some people fruit do. cake see, in cookie form. See, you're gonna. I I, I the next next Christmas, I'm gonna have to try <laughs> fruit cake because I've 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 never I've ne- I never have. Um, get get a panna cotta or something. Don't get don't get a don't get a fruit cake, especially a British right. one. Ugh. Ooh, now we're now we're getting nationalism involved in the this, this really really cooking up yeah. hatred to its pure form out here at the bald mood kitchen. Your inbox is just going to be murder this week. My, it's our inbox, motherfucker. Well, this not is if you don't not, look at it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, let's let's try to put this this oatmeal uh, raisin unpleasantness behind this and move on with Casey. So as I'm writing with a complaint or an ab- or observation observation about the T. Lou trailers, as you guys said in your coverage of episode one, it was weird that the initial trailer revealed that there was people out west working on a cure. The Ellie was part of it when that info was clearly treated as a mystery in the first episode. Even by the end of the episode, it wasn't explicitly said that there were people working on a cure out west. Then season look ahead trailer they played on HBO after the first episode seemed uh, showed what seemed like Tommy and Joel talking after they reunite. As someone who knows nothing about the games, I thought the episode made an unanswered question whether Tommy was even alive, and I was interested in finding out. Kind of disappointed when they just showed that right away. Not only explaining he's alive, but that Joel makes it as far as Wyoming. Finally, I keep getting a trailer as an ad before YouTube videos. It starts with Tess's voice saying, keep her alive and save everyone you can. That's your job now. And the classic, I'm dying actor voice. <laughs> Maybe right. I'm reading it wrong, but to me it feels like they're spoiling that her character dies right in the first five seconds of the trailer that they're forcing people to watch as an ad. I'm not usually too bothered by spoilers, and I always listen to the spoiler parts of your podcast anyway. <laughs> but it's weird to me that all these reveals seem pretty major and are coming from inside the HBO itself. It seems like it indicates they're marketing the show primarily to people who are familiar with the game, and they're trying to get them excited for big game moments or plot points, but are forgetting about spoilers for non-game players? Well, I don't know if you had any thoughts on this. Uh, Jim, what do you think about HBO's PR team and how they're promoting this? Are they catering to gamers that know everything, or... I mean, I I haven't seen these ads, but I don't engage with uh, media probably in the same way as a lot of people do. Uh so and and i've played the game so maybe i don't take note of the things that are dropping that are spoilers Mm. i think if that's the case if those things are happening that sucks because presumably you want although man a lot of people played this game a lot of people but also you don't want to spoil it you don't need to spoil it right it's not a case of like we have to make sure the game players know that we're going to do these beats at the expense of the people who've never played it and want to watch the show. 
So yeah. I don't know why you would advertise those things. There's enough going on early in this season that I feel like you don't need to. Yeah, I I have a lot of similar, you know, caveats to you that like I, I, I don't go out. I try to avoid trailers as much as possible because mm-hmm. they tend to be a little bit too showy. Um, But I also think that a lot of people are getting worked up on where essentially premises um of the show and that you know the real what i would consider you know i i'm trying to think of how to describe like for example it's not a spoiler for the matrix that say that says that keanu reeves is a man who is uh is is trapped inside a world that's not real all right um that's the premise that's the premise the actual nature of his reality and what caused it and all that kind of stuff. You you delve into that, you start getting into spoilers. But I never think the premises, like this premise of the show is uh, a middle-aged man escorting a young girl to a place where she can be studied as the potential savior of human. That's the premise of the show. Uh, spoilers would yeah. be like specific things that happen and and, and the brother being alive, test die. And that you yeah, were also the reading Tommy stuff, I think, yeah. We're also reading tea leaves pretty fine here. Like she's talking about in the classic actor dying voice. I didn't get that at all from <laughs> uh-huh. listening that I, I know what ad you're referring to. But then again, I knew that was going to happen. So right. as a matter of course. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think in general, uh, HBO does better than most. Like one of the worst studio oh, slash outfits is AMC. Mm-hmm. Like they are the fucking worst when it comes to doing stuff like that. Um, I feel like HBO is pretty good. So I, I just think, I don't know. I, I think in general, people should probably relax a little bit about. And the other thing is like um, also sports. I don't think trailers are intended, you know, like if you just watch a trailer and then like, oh yeah, I'm cool. I'm hyped up for that. That's one thing. But if you go to a YouTube video that does a 17 minute breakdown of the trailer, you're mm-hmm. probably yeah. going now. Is that because the trailer has spoilers or is that because nothing is designed to hold up to that kind of scrutiny where people that know the source material and know what things look like and, oh, this means this and, oh, that probably means that. And and and, and I don't know. And sometimes I think the way these things are used on YouTube where you might see a trailer 17 times where it's like, you know, now you're looking for particular moments and you're and and this the context of it is spoilery. But I yeah, I, I think this show is good enough that even relatively mild spoilers, certainly premise type spoilers are not going to because I, I was also like when I when I went to sit down and play the original game, I didn't go in that in a vacuum. You know, I'd read, you know, Game Informer and I, you know, I'd, I'd seen models. I'd seen like the different types of infected and probably how they behaved and stuff like that. And I still thought the game packed a wallop. So mm-hmm. most of the things I think that you're complaining about in this, Casey, are things that I probably understood, um, you know, before I sat down to play the game and the game still kind of blew me away. So I think I think y'all be all right. Now's the time to endure and survive. We'll be back with more Savage Starlight. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. 
The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked the question, who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. First two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Just so we're clear about back there, it was either us or the ad. Welcome back to more Savage Starlight. Josh B says, after a scanner identified them as infected, Fedder quickly executed a child. Once the scanner identified Ellie as uh, infected as well, I got to thinking how many quote-unquote infected but immune individuals like Ellie have been executed. Things reasonable to assume that Fedra had picked up Ellie outside the walls. She would have received the exact same treatment. Fedra clearly does not have a wait-and-see policy. So is Ellie really the only immune human or is she just the only one given a chance being bit? What's the likelihood that others could have developed this immunity? I don't know much about how mutations work, but I think it's an interesting idea that if in order to survive, society had to adapt a zero-tolerance policy towards infected, but that policy is simultaneously their downfall. Ellie being not so much a a one-in-a-billion biological exemption, but more just lucky to have had enough time since getting bit to prove she's immune. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think there are a lot of people who probably, eh, you know, relatively, a lot of people who are probably immune to this. Um, and given time, they would have not manifested the symptoms, but Fedra just killed him because that's the policy. And like I talked about in a previous podcast, I, d- I don't even know if they want to find a cure to this thing because they are in charge. The system that is in place suits them pretty well right now. Why would they want to disrupt their own business model, <laughs> essentially? Uh, in, in trying to find a cure for this. Yeah. That's pretty dark. Um, yeah, it's tough because that's the thing. It's like, this is, (laughs) this is an unknowable conundrum. Like, are they like, is Ellie the first one or she's just the first one to survive? We don't know the circumstances yet behind, you know, seems like there's some mystery here with, uh, her relationship to, uh, Marlene. Um, but yeah, and and you could it's an easy trap to go into. It's like obviously infected are bad news if you're inside the walls of this QZ 
Uh, this seems like a common sense, you know, a, a a harsh but necessary preventative measure to keep what's you know the last of us alive. Um, but but yeah, um, I don't know, I don't know. That's it's one of those things where you know if you i'm trying to think of like another because because that's the other thing is like this is a highly fictionalized thing like the i don't think the science as as much as i like the science behind the last of us i don't think it's 100 percent airtight i think there are mm-hmm. holes and things that are essentially just as magical as raised from the dead zombies but you know they have this kind of polish of science it's it's tough it's tough um because what do you do you just allow infected uh, you, you just have these massive observation tanks where you isolate people and you just observe them until they go to a terminal phase. Like what, what if they go through a violent phase of, uh, infection for a week and then at the end of that, their immune system burns through it and they're fine. Like at what point does the manpower required to do that just not worth it, um, on the hypothetical benefits? I honestly don't know. Obviously Federer and the Boston QZ does not roll this way, so... Mm-hmm. but it is an interesting question Dallas in Nashville says I just finished your episode 1 feedback podcast and I was hoping someone would have poked a hole in your Bisquick flower spreader theory if fungi can't survive in bodies over 94 degrees Fahrenheit until global warming allowed them to evolve so they can handle the 98 to 100 degree human bodies what food can be made with flour that doesn't require it to be baked, griddled, steamed or any other cooking method at no more than 100 degrees oh, Fahrenheit some sick some sick bastards out there eating raw flour. Well, he, he says oatmeal, raisin cookies, no nope, biscuits, no nope, birthday cake. Nope. <laughs> Unless people are so desperate for food, they're eating handfuls of powdery flour. It seems mm-hmm. like your theory is put sunglasses on half bake. First of all, who doesn't eat raw cookie dough? You're not supposed to. All You're right. risking salmonella and a bunch, but who raise your hand right now? If you've never eaten raw cookie dough, liars every one of you guys hands up <laughs> fucking liars so like there there is like the impatient cookie monster theory that yeah. like yeah you're gonna put them in the oven you're gonna bake them and they're gonna be delicious but oh there's a spoonful right there you're not gonna lick you're not gonna lick the bowl you're not gonna lick the spatula you're not gonna lick the 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 little mixers the the mixer the beaters on on your your beating machine your mixer yeah <laughs> the beating um machine. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, like, I've done some research in the fungus uh, since last week. And, you know, because someone wrote in and talked about how particularly tough, like, fungal spores can be in the cell walls, have, like, this chitinous material. And it turns out that, like, not all, some fungus spores are delicate, but a lot of them are extremely tough. They can lie dormant for years in and waiting for the right conditions to grow and multiply. They have thick, solid cell walls that can resist it to stomach acid, radiation, the vacuum of space, high temperatures. Uh, some of the first organisms that bounce back after a raging forest fire are fungus. In fact, some species use the powerful updrafts that are generated in forest fires to spread their spores further and wider than they would ever be able to in just you know conventional breezes and whatnot. Uh, there are fungal spores specifically that can survive pasteurization, which is the process in which we heat up food before we preserve it, specifically to kill all microbiological contaminations. So uh, the idea is not that living fungus are surviving the cookie, but some sort of spore. And then once it gets in an environment conducive to its replication, in this case, a human body at 98.6 degrees, it goes crazy. I think that's what you're supposed to understand. Hmm. So... 
it is possible certain fungus do have these extraordinarily resistant spores. Um, and I think I think that's what you're supposed to understand. That, like you've got like this Goldilocks mutation that like the best, strongest things from several different funguses have come together and been able to colonize the human body. And now you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris C., if you want, by the way, some good background information about fungus, they recommend Fantastic Fungi on Netflix. It's a gorgeous, amazing uh, documentary, and I watched it before I watched The Last of Us and found that only positive and jaw-dropping, beautiful impressions of these amazing species of life. So uh, if you want to see fungus that are not in a predatory light, check out that Fantastic Fungi. Um Brett from Honolulu says, Ola, or Aloha, rather, Jim and Aaron, in honor of the other star of the show, what's your favorite fungus or mushroom-centered dishes? I think Aaron said the morels were his favorite. I'm partial to mushroom risotto or a good fungi white pizza. What about you, gents? Yeah, I'm with you on the risotto. Uh, one of my favorites is a mushroom tomato risotto. It's really good. Yeah. I, I like mushrooms. I like mushrooms on my steak. I like mushrooms on hamburgers. I like mm. mushrooms on pizza. Yeah. Uh, I do love, mer- um, you know, in the Midwest, it's a hobby in early or, or early sp- late winter, early spring to hunt these morel mushrooms um, that, uh, man, I've lost my primary hunting grounds because our grandfather passed away and we sold his farm. There was 100 acres down in Spencer where we could reliably get five to 10 pounds of morels out of from you know march Hmm. to april and now i'm gonna have to hunt on public land like 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 some kind of riffraff trash some kind of mushroom beggar or pay pay the 50 dollars per pound prices that they want out of bloomington Mm -hmm. um oh man they're so good though they're so good just lightly breaded and fried Mm. i think that's my favorite my favorite way my favorite fungus is morels sliced and breaded and fried so good. Nice. Uh, Sulema. Sulema says, hey, guys, I'm a show watcher and non-game player here, and thank you for covering the show. You're quite welcome. Moldus was watching the show with me, and we're speculating on the lore. So she asked me, what do the fungus-infected people eat? The first one we saw in episode one was the grandmother, and it looked like she was sucking blood while infecting her victim. In episode two, the horde of snoozing infected were activated by roots. Does the fungus inside the zombie just live off the flesh of the infected? Does it eat from other people? Does it need to have roots? I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts. You got hmm. any? I don't think the the stuff inside of the host needs to have roots. I think it just needs to be in a host that is providing some kind of nutrient. Um, I don't know. What do mushrooms typically use for nutrients? I'm not actually even sure. They usually feed on like decaying plant and animal matter, right? It's always like fungus are associated with those kind of decay. Um, uh, It absorbs that nutrients from that. Um, And my idea is that these mushrooms have a way to slow down the body's processes and only activate them when they're needed. So like these humans laying on the ground are in a low power state. Their metabolism's turned low. They might be breathing only, you know, once or twice a minute. Their heart rate is slowed down to four or five beats per minute. Um, they're probably a uh, body temperature is dropping, which might make the mushroom able because I know it can withstand 98.6, but I'm sure it prefers cooler temperatures. Um, there's, you know, I mentioned that, um, 
that the maybe the mushrooms are using chlorophyll. I actually did some research on that, and there's no known species of fungus that's ever able to do photosynthesis. But they've recently, in the last 20 years, discovered a species of fungus that are able to live in the radiation chambers of the uh, Chernobyl inside the Chernobyl circumference, or not circumference, sarcophagus, the big steel and concrete structure that they built to contain the radiation from that. Um, and they are able to convert this radiation to energy in a process that's like photosynthesis because after all, you know, radiation is just another form of light or I guess light is a form of radiation. But instead of uh, chlorophyll using uh, that to process photosynthesis, they use melanin, you know, the 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 uh, chemical that, that pigments your skin. They use a process that uses melanin to generate uh, uh, energy instead of chlorophyll. So... It's not beyond my comp, you know, the, like my belief that these mushroom and all the other kind of evolving they've been doing uh, have evolved a form of that. Um, but also like the fact that they're able to send tendrils out into the ground, like if a, if a human's in low power mode and it sends these tendrils out, maybe they're just directly feeding the host tissue from like nutrients in the ground, like a plant. It seems like. They might be feeding off the host themselves. Um, but the host, I, I, it has to feed, right? It's not, you know, you can only do... You, well, the human body is a, a store of energy, right? I mean, right. It, to, large, to a large degree. Like, that's what fat is, essentially. Sure. It's a store of energy for us. So we have a lot of, like, extra energy. Um, and, you know, it's hard to imagine that a human body could be sucked on by fungi for 20 years and still, you know... Uh, be together enough to to run around but like you know a few months i could see it absolutely um the 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 way i understand it after doing you know four minutes of research here uh is that fungus tend to a fungus will like part of the mycelium stuff is they send out these tendrils that sort of break down organic tissue into mm-hmm. like large molecules into small molecules that they can then absorb through those mm-hmm. uh, through the mycelium and that's how they get their nutrients um, and they, they can do that from a lot of different sources one of which is for parasitic fungi fungi uh, they can do it to their host so there's probably a bit of that going on and, and maybe some you know they're definitely reactive to sunlight so maybe some of that too I do think it's telling that all of the mushroom forms we've seen so far in the show and the trailer do have a working mouth. So, like, I think mm. that there's probably just conventional eating going on, you know. There could uh, be, yeah. eating of Eating of bodies. Um, although there's a tension there because the mushroom wants to spread. It spreads primarily through human hosts. So if it just consumes a, a body that it's killed uh, or a bo- if it just consumes a body that that kills a potential host. So uh, yeah. maybe small animals. Uh, is it hell to be a rat in the Boston, you know, outside the Boston quarantine zone? Um, earthworms, like if a tendril grabs an earthworm, can it just like suck all the life out of it and, and distribute it to? There's a, there's there's all all kinds of possibilities. The reality is the game is just not super concerned with how the yeah, infected yeah. are surviving, and we, you know, and, and Joel is a fairly incurious person <laughs> if you if if you if, if figured that out um so like i i don't know and i and again I'll, I'll be the first one to say that i think the science of the game is sturdy but like at its very foundations pretty shaky and science fictiony you know mm-hmm. like there's no known fungus that could come close to doing anything like the cordyceps do here but 
And I think it's, in the official podcast, maybe this week, they admitted that, yeah, this isn't all, you know, this doesn't all track perfectly, but it's pretty close. Mike from St. Louis says, I've not played the games and have a question about the various stages in the life cycle of the infected. This week's episode, we are introduced to quote unquote clickers, which I assume have been infected for a longer period of time than ones who look more conventionally human, such as the one that kissed Tess at the end of the episode. Do you guys have any insight you can share throughout uh, about this progression? Do they all turn into clickers eventually or only some of them? In a trailer, it looks like there's a jumbo clicker at some point. Is this yet another stage? I'm not sure you can talk about this without spoiling something, but I thought I'd ask. Yeah, this is all mildly interesting. Um, I think what you're surmising is correct, that it takes time to develop these advanced infections. You know, it takes time to get the head split open and the growths and to develop the echolocation and all that kind of things. And um, I, I I don't think it's true that if you just leave an infected along, that'll go through all the stages. It seems like there's some sort of conditions that have to be met for something to survive long enough to become a clicker. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to postulate about things more advanced than that, you'd think it'd have to take more time. And that this goes back to the other conversation we're having about like, well, how do you keep them alive and all that? But like, yeah, I don't think it's a, it's, it's naturally, it's, it's, it's probably, has something to do with how much resources it's available, uh, its conditions. Like, is it out stuck in the sunlight where it seems like these have like kind of a violent reaction to? Um, you got any thoughts on? Like, again, no, we that don't all makes spoil sense. Um, yeah. I, I think, like, yeah, you think about the conditions that mushrooms can grow in, and probably the closer you can get to its ideal environment, the right. a the faster it'll grow, and b probably the the stronger it will grow too, and and maybe there's a more likely chance that it will evolve into a clicker or something. Yeah. Like Tess mentioned that a lot of the infected stayed inside and mm-hmm. then they got triggered to come outside because of some external, like if, if an infected is left in a like cool damp area for a long enough time, do they just kind of naturally come turn into this or if they get stuck outside? So they're exposed to the elements in the sun that they get kind of dried out and desiccated. Those are all, uh, and again, again, the game doesn't really answer all these questions, but um, there's stuff that I'm I'm wondering if they it seems like the show is more interested in answering this than the game was. And I wonder if some of these cold oh, yeah. opens will give us a little bit of clues. We'll see. Anna from Kent, England says, how are the infected actually killed? Is it via destruction of the brain, as in most zombie shows, or will enough shots to the body do it? If the explosion in this episode didn't kill all the infected, will we see infected crawling around with no arms or legs like in The Walking Dead? I'm not a gamer, and I don't want to Google the answer for fear of spoilers, but I feel the show hasn't made this clear as of yet. No, you don't want to Google anything, you know, because these games have been out for a decade, and there's massive wikis that will... Give you the answer that you're seeking with a with a big dose of spoilers too, um, but I think you're on the right track. Like, it's my impression that uh, anything that will kill a human being will and kill an infected. But the more infected they are, the more of that thing you'll probably need. Because mm-hmm. these mushrooms again have these tough cell walls that essentially become like an armor where they're growing on the person. Yeah, and I think I mean it's it's the human body is a host, right? So it's not uh-huh. it's not a meat puppet for these mushrooms. It's a it's a relationship, and so if you kill one part of this organism, which is the parasite host organism, now the whole thing will die. Um, and the whole thing, 
might not die at the exact same time, right? Like you yes. shoot it in the head, the fungus is still going to be alive, but what can it do with a body that can't move? Um, yes. So, and you see that in the the corpse that uh, the mycologist uh, takes a look at, right? Is is you see the tendrils coming out of the mouth. So clearly the fungus alive is still is still alive inside, but the body is not. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think, yeah, if, if a human has a certain amount of destruction to their brain, to the right parts of the brain, if they if they get bled out, essentially, um, and that their muscles and brain don't have enough oxygen to function, then they're not going to be able to do anything and they'll die. Yeah, I assume anything that will kill a human de facto will kill this organism, which is the parasite host uh, yeah. symbiote kind of thing. <laughs> I know that's yeah. the wrong term, but. And I, and I echo just like you said, just, you know, I, I wonder if there'll be any drama around a recently killed infected because I, you're right. They've established that the, the fungus doesn't necessarily die with the host body. I mean, eventually mm-hmm. it will. I don't think yeah, the, yeah. the fungus can live without it, but you know, it's just an extreme case of what already goes on when the human body dies. There's lots of flora and fauna inside it that, you know, no longer held in check by an immune system kind of like flourishes and then mm-hmm. it eventually runs out of things to consume and dies too. even our cell. Like when you die, there's a lot of levels to dying, like the time yeah. when you experience like your heart stops beating, your brain death, uh, the last cell the last oxygenated cell in your body uh, divide. Like there's a lot, there's, there's a huge continuum. And I think the fungus just kind of like uh, extends and enhances that. But, but yeah, it's the important thing is to understand that these are not zombies in the traditional sense where they're dead tissue being reanimated. They're mm-hmm. living hosts being parasitized by this fungus. So usually, yeah, you run over one of the car, that's probably going to kill it. If you shoot it in the head enough time, that's probably, it's like, like center mass in the chest to take out the heart or the head is probably mm-hmm. going to be the fastest, but uh, the other thing is uh, because I, I would imagine that um, one of the reasons, like, like, the, the, like if Joel unloaded that semi-automatic rifle into the infected's chest, like put 10 rounds into its chest, it might still keep coming, but if they were to get away, I don't know that, that clicker survives long. Yeah, I think I the mushroom can like keep it going, and you're not going to have the shock response that a normal human has. It's not going to react to pain. Uh, it's not going to necessarily act in self preservation. But like, if you if you put that many holes in it, I don't think that clicker had long to live. I don't I don't think it just like makes a full yeah. recovery. It's either going to bleed yeah. out or its lungs will stop functioning. And right. as soon as the brain can't get what it needs to keep the legs moving, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. over for it. Yeah. Uh, Kevin says, according to the official podcast, the reason that Ellie get bit in this episode was to replace the spore scene that we mentioned in last week's spoiler edition about Joel reacting to Ellie breathing in spores. In the game, you know, they have mm-hmm. spores, and that's what finally proves it to Joel that she's not going to turn when she can just successfully breathe in the spore environment. Yeah. It does beg the question, though, how would tendrils react to Ellie? Are they repelled by her, or would they try to attach themselves to her but it wouldn't affect her? That's a good question that I don't have I the don't answer know. to because obviously the ga- show's not doing what the game's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting though. I I like the idea that we could see a scene where she interacts with one of these things in a way. Well, so so the clicker does attack her, right? It's not like the clicker goes, "Huh, there's a mushroom person. I guess I right. don't need to attack that." 
Right. So that might be a hint. But yeah, I'd like to see something less severe, I guess, than a clicker. Maybe one of these newly uh, reanimated fungal beings <laughs> infected, yeah. I guess. Uh, interact with Ellie. That might be interesting. Yeah, I guess she's um, clearly I think she can set off the trip wires, but maybe that will be a special ability that she has too. that the fungus doesn't recognize like it tries to tenderl into her and then kind of recoils or maybe. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure either. We'll 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 have to be on the look on the lookout for how these tendrils react to her. Brian K said, I just listened to a radio lab podcast called Fungus Among Us, and I've got some important tidbits to share. They say in the aftermath of the meteor that wiped out the dinosaurs, mammals survived in caves and holes in the ground and reptiles survived in wetter areas. Reptiles could have taken over the earth again because they require less food, being cold-blooded, but the fungus kept their population in check because fungus thrive up to 86 degrees Fahrenheit, which was conducive to mammalian explosion. So one of the reasons we got these big old brains in our monkey bodies is because we... Uh, outcompeted the fungus viral uh, uh, overlords because way hot back blooded hot blood yeah way back 60 million years ago um our our hot-headedness uh kept us safe <laughs> uh-huh over the last 150 years average human body temperature has decreased from 98.6 to 97.5 which scientists what? attribute to improved health care yeah i guess this is what? a real thing as we've become healthier and we've had a safe and effective vaccines that keep the the some of these viral and bacteria things from killing us that are we've we've slowly evolved less hot body temperature we got we got to get that temperature back up we we got to do something the the earth's getting hotter we're getting colder it's just a matter of time (laughs) before the fungus meet in the middle man recipe for disaster yeah what are we doing come on global warming how about human warming we need to get some of that shit going According to Radiolab, with global warming and regions already having sustained periods of higher temperatures, some fungus are already able to adapt themselves in temperatures of excess to 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And they point out in the podcast, at some point, fungi may be able to survive in a human body as these temperatures thresholds converge. On another note, is it possible that Jakarta, Indonesia, and Asia took quicker, more decisive action to contain the fungus than did the West? Never played the game, but is that... Uh, is the game totally take place in the U.S.? Perhaps other parts of the world fared better. Are the Inuits, for example, thriving? No one knows. So, so in the official podcast this week, they said uh, when they were Neil Druckmann said when they were making the video game, they specifically made it a point to never leave the POV of the United States. Um, I don't don't remember why they did that, but they did, uh, and this was a big departure from that. So, we don't know. Yeah, all we know is it, it the outbreak happened in Jakarta first, and then from there, who knows what happened? Um, yeah, I, I that's the thing. It's like I, I have to. I've always thought that the this happened worldwide, even though that doesn't really make sense. Like this happened in Saudi Arabia, where temperatures can soar to 140 degrees, and there's like no water, and like you just got this great, you know, this 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 hitting um you know like desert nomads is this hitting people that live in the tundra are the scientists in the arctic research or antarctic research stations safe like what if you if if you got submarines out to sea are there still some of those operating like we don't know we know the united states seems to be a complete fucking mess um 
But I, yeah, I was like, if, yeah, what would that mean if the United States was essentially destroyed, but like a lot of parts of Asia and Africa and, and the Middle East are okay? Like, did they just like, wall, you know, just, just wall up and, and leave the rest of the world to die? I, I don't know. Uh, David H says, I just started listening to The Last of Us and your guys' podcast episodes for it. In one of the first episodes, you talk about the cure for fungal infections. A friend of mine has actually been living with a black mold fungal infection in his brain for years now with no cure. There's been articles written about it, and it's definitely worth checking out. And he included an article from BuzzFeed. If you want to read this, if you search for BuzzFeed Tyson Botanist, it's B-O-T-T-E-N-U-S. This guy wrote an article about it. He's got this form of black mold that's living inside his brain. Uh, and the tricky thing about treating anything in the brain is there's this blood-brain barrier. That your body specifically kind of encapsulates the brain and uh, has a separate blood flow. So where it's very hard. It's notoriously hard to get a drug that's in your uh, central uh, circulatory system to bypass that barrier so you can get that drug into the brain. And they're having a, a hell of a time uh, treating this guy. But he's been living it for, for years. So maybe he's like uh, an Ellie. He's going to be the mutant that we need mm-hmm. to survive uh, into into the, the fungus future. But it's a really Could fascinating be. article if you want to check that out. BuzzFeed uh, Tyson Botanist is what you want to search for. Pekowitz says in the radio broadcast in the, the background of episode one, that's two days after the cold open from episode two, we hear there's unrest in Jakarta. Not that Jakarta has been bombed or explosions rocking Jakarta. Does that mean the military didn't take the mycologist advice to bomb it and it spread out of control? Or is this state propaganda somehow? Uh, it, like it's less than two full days since they mm-hmm. found out, you know, the, the mycologist told them to do it and shit is going bad in the United States. I want, I don't know. It seems hard to believe that you could bomb a city as large, like the capital city yeah. of Indonesia and the rest of the world not know at all. Mm-hmm. But if you cut the internet and the phone lines and you're bombing and it says it's your, your, your countering rep. I don't know, but I, I think it implies that, yeah, they, they didn't have, they were unwilling or perhaps more spooky, unable to go forward with some kind of bombing operation. If they were unwilling, huh? What does that say about the America and then Boston and all the places that did bomb? I wonder if they're going to do anything with that. I'd, I don't know. That might not be the point of this show, but yeah. And I, yeah, and the moral calculus of bombing a city when you're like the your patient zero is different mm-hmm. than when you see the rest of the world like succumbing, and it's like a little bit yep. easier to do that moral calculus because oh well, wait and see. We've seen how that goes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they'll deal with those moral questions because that stuff is way above the game's pay scale. Like, you oh, never yeah. really consider the regional well-being of anyone. It's all very personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, John from the Bay Area, California, says, when the cordyceps tendrils wind into a host's brain, how much of the knowledge of the host does the mush work discern? Is it possible that mushrooms become aware that an immune girl is headed west to develop a weapon to send them back to the ant age? <laughs> It would be terrifying to see info transmitted and a desperate mobilized mushroom response slowly building to take out Ellie and Joel on their journey. What I do you think, Jim? Think so. I the, the, the fungus is not a complex enough organism to have thoughts. I don't think. At best, it has sort of what ants have, which is uh, 
chemical responses to stimuli, right? right. I I don't I I don't know unless they're going to go way off the the beaten fungus trail as I understand it, they're probably not going to do anything like that. Yeah, I I want to say that they won't do that, but they are anthropomorphizing this fungus awful fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. when I listen to their podcast on the second episode and they're talking about how the fungus loves the way that humans love, they recognize each other and there's this and like and but I'm like, "Okay, well maybe that that that's not love. That's like a an organism trying to reproduce. And maybe that's going haywire inside the brain of a human infected and it's coming across as like this kiss response or something like that. But like I think that they're being I'm gonna take I'm I hope that they're being poetic. Yeah. Because yeah. like I what I don't wanna see is I don't know, like can you imagine like a a giant mushroom that's able to like communicate or be like stop Joel and Ellie mm. we cannot allow it's like that's gonna be pretty fucking cringe if mushrooms able to read brains and interpret concepts like there is a girl <laughs> that's immune that looks like this and she's headed to this look like that's yeah we're we're rapidly approaching like pizza the hut territory and I'm not <laughs> right. I'm not right. in for that on this show Right. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't know about all that. I feel like that could get pretty, pretty cringy, pretty science fiction. Like I'm trying to allow like, OK, maybe there's a form of radiation photosynthesis that they could. But like how much shit can this thing evolve in 20 years? You know, I mean, I've heard of punctured equilibrium and, and rapid and, and, and rapid evolution in terms of geolog. But like 20 years, 20 yeah, years. Holy no shit. That's a lot for evolution. Watch out for that fungus. Be right back with more Savage Starlight. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live.
We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. We found something to fight for. This podcast. Welcome back to Savage Starlight. Uh, Courtney from Austin says, I'm a viewer who hasn't played the game, so maybe this will eventually be answered, but can animals be infected in this world? The last episode, I was struck by how quiet the city was. There's no wild dogs or cats, no raccoons feasting on trash, etc. I assume most animals were wiped out as well, but then Ellie was feasting on her chicken sandwich. Confirmed that some animals were still alive. Could we see infected clicker dogs? Gorillas escape from the Boston Zoo? Just curious. All right, let's see. Uh... Unlike people who have a normal temperature range of 97.6 to 99.6 degrees, your dog's normal temperature is higher. The range is yep. between 99.5 and 102.5. Yeah. So dogs, eh, probably not. Yeah. I, I don't, obviously it doesn't cover all animals, right? I'm sure there are some, but. And also like you, just because you can infect one species, like that cordyceps that, that does all the funky stuff to the uh, ant's brain, it's not like every ant is susceptible, let alone every insect, let alone spiders and scorpions, let, you know, like mm-hmm. it's usually there's a, you need to have these parasites, they, they, they evolve to parasite a particular host and get good at that. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to say either way. It's all mildly interesting. Um, but we haven't seen it so far, but that doesn't mean that animals can't be, you know, obviously if you have a, a couple hundred million insane humans ravaging the United States, like a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of animals might die in that. Um, clearly there's a lot of bombing and other things that took place, but we'll have Look, to see. My, my we'll cat see. runs away when I clap anywhere near her. So I imagine like if I was a fungus person, yeah. she'd probably run as far away as possible into the forest. So probably a lot of animals went out of the cities. But I bet a bunch of dumb animals are bad about avoiding fungal tripwires. True. True. Uh, Cohen says, I may be a dissenter, and but in my opinion, there are some things I didn't really like in this second episode. Don't get me wrong, I really like most of it, and the clicker sequence is awesome, but some things really stuck, stick out. First, the infected. How come some infected last 20 years and some two months? Secondly, I think the whole tripwire system is a bad idea since it makes no sense. How come some infected are just chilling and walking around while some have to be connected to this elaborate network of dumb fuckery? The real problem, in my opinion, isn't the tendril system, as I think it's a cool idea and does explain how the infected get sustenance, but the tripwire aspect I really don't like. Due to this tripwire aspect, I'll expect to see Joel and Ellie stepping over these for the rest of the show since there are tendrils everywhere. They don't, then it's obvious failure on the writer's part. Uh, I also found Tessa's death was kind of lackluster. 
and it felt like they did the weird zombie tendril kiss just for the sake of grossness. I'd rather have her gone out in a blaze of glory against federal, a uh, few federal agents instead of cowering against a wall while trying to start a lighter. I, I did see some people that were game fans uh, not like that Tess, like because Tess had a little bit more of a badass uh, um, exit from the game than you mm-hmm. know here terrorizing a wall. Some people were even like, oh, you know, another instance of a woman being exposed to sexualized violence for the titillation of viewers. And that's all, I think, arguments that you can make. Um, But, like, also, if they do that just for the sake of grossness, I think that's a fine sake. That's like, you know, (laughs) a horror movie putting jump scares and playing creepy music just to unnerve you. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they do that. Sometimes they they do art just to make you feel a certain way, and it doesn't have to make logical sense, or everything doesn't have to be explained from a, a strict storytelling point of view. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I, I think reasonable people can disagree on uh, whether or not they like this change. I, I, for one, like it, but I can understand why a lot of people wouldn't if they're fans of the game. I do wonder about this tendril tripwire. We talked about how what a great mechanic it is, but if it's always active all the time, if you got to live like it does seem like every single time Ellie and Joel tangle with infected, it's going to bring all the infected in an area down to them. And that seems like it can yeah. get out of hand really quick. Yeah, I guess it depends on, you know, where the the tendrils have spread, where the network has spread to, um, and how yeah. it how it kind of manifests in the area. Because a lot of this stuff is underground, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not that they've got miles and miles of above ground tendrils snaking out everywhere that you're gonna have to step over. It's more like, you know, it'll go three miles and then pop up somewhere. It'll, it'll go yeah. across Connecticut and then pop up. Uh, so it might not be everywhere. It might just be in in sporadic patches. So like just like in the game, there was hotbeds of spore activity where you go inside a mm-hmm. building or a location where there's these yellow particles floating in the air, and these are the hotbeds. Of, you have to put the mask on and be extra careful. There might be hotbeds of fungus activity where there's these tendrils spread out like a net, and you touch anywhere, it's going to bring. Then there might be others where the connection's more spotty or the mushroom hasn't had time to build the tendrils yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I will say that I doubt that these guys are dumb enough to introduce this mechanic in the second episode and then like going to violate it in a nine episode seat, you know, in, in, in very offensive ways. Like that seems hard for yeah. me to believe guys this smart, this much respect for their, their source material would do something like that. But I guess it's a fear that you could have this early on. Sure. Uh, Seth says, are these smugglers any good at smuggling? As a non-game player, I'm having trouble contextualizing the competency level of Joel and Tess. So a little backstory provided, I guess it's just main character syndrome that led me to assume that they're the best of the best or something close to that. However, just 24 hours into their quest, they've been held at gunpoint at the border, had their precious cargo bitten, and lost one of their team, R.I.P. Tess. Going head on into the museum when the danger is obvious and stepping on the tentacles appear to be careless and amateurish mistakes. As Jim mentioned, they go right into the waist-deep waters of the hotel, which also seems spooky as hell. I get that it's a zombie show and there's always danger around every corner, but I expected them to be very experienced in this world and able to navigate it more effectively than they have so far. I guess we're just catching them on their worst day? Um, maybe maybe yeah. i i i will say i view them as very competent 
as well, but competence in the face of overwhelming uh, odds and overwhelming danger can only take you so far. Um, yeah. that, that's my feeling on it is yes, the, they are the most competent uh, smugglers in Boston maybe, or among the most. And now they're out in the quote unquote real world, which is primed to eat them alive. Mm-hmm. So they're just trying their best and, and boy, they've got a long uphill battle. And I, it's like when you say they're amongst the best, like I don't even know if that's true. I think they're mid-level black market people in the QZ zone. Um, they're very small. They're, they're just a two man, well, I mm-hmm. guess one man, one woman outfit. And they are right now maybe taking risks that they wouldn't normally do because they're scared about Tommy. Um, like, I don't think Joel just goes, grabs a truck and just goes joyriding out into the wild on a regular basis. Like they probably go out from the walls, get the stuff they need, um, you know, in a more controlled, organized manner with more preparation and all that stuff. And now they're kind of like kind of winging it, but yeah, that they're not, um, you know, I I don't know. Like, are they like Han Solo? Is Han Solo the best smuggler in the galaxy? Because uh, even he not. gets boarded, he gets uh-huh. you know he's got a couple Jabba. tricks, but right, 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 right. So it's like I, yeah, um, I, I never it, assumed that they were they were the best or invincible. Yeah, and even if you look at the Fireflies, who are like an organization, um, roughly speaking, they yeah. are unable to handle what I view as like a pretty low level uh, crime operation in Roberts dudes. Um, mm-hmm without losing like the vast majority of their their group so right you know it's it's this isn't this isn't going to be a tale of superheroes this isn't going to be a crack team of ex-military uh people going in and just putting everything in sight down it's going to be a tale of hard-fought victories if you can even call them that it's, it's going to be desperate victories at that yes uh or or a, a hard-fought tale of barely avoided losses i would say yeah not, not yeah, even yeah, yeah, wins yeah. just like one thing after another and and these are just kind of normal people in a bad situation trying to get by yeah and like you know there's also relative amounts of danger like i think that they know that they're not in any danger and waste deep water of like a horde of infected jumping up and killing them because they just know that's not possible but like you know wading in the waist deep dot it's like how many times have we have you know again raise your hand if you waded in a waist deep creek that you can't see in the bottom of you could step on a broken bottle you could step on a sharp piece of metal uh you know maybe you can wear shoes a lot of people don't like we do a lot of things that are stupid and we people get hurt people die all the time <laughs> you know uh-huh. Like, I don't know if it's stupid that they did that. So, but I think a lot of people are like, they're, they're infected by the walking dead memes of like, oh my God, you get into waist deep water and God knows what kind of, you know, zombies are in a sludge down there or, yeah, you know, that's just not a thing in, in the last of us. Cause again, these aren't dead people. They're living things that are being parasitized by, by these fungus. Uh, Virgilio in California says, I'm listening to your pod and I know there's differences between the show fungus and the game fungus, but I want to speculate on how the fungus works in a show. Specifically, do you think drier, hotter places like New Mexico, Arizona, even Southern California have fared? 
Sure, the infection has evolved to survive the human's higher body temperature. However, it seems like the tendril network just couldn't survive in a place like Phoenix, Arizona, with even hotter temperatures in a human body and a total lack of moisture in the ground. If you look at any population map in the U.S., only about 20% of the population lives west of the Mississippi, meaning less hosts for the fungus to live and spread. It seems like Joel made a mistake by going northeast instead of heading out west. The show American Southwest would have been pretty livable since 20 years of low human activity has probably negated some of the worst impact of climate change for the area, i.e. drought. Um, What do you think, Jim? This makes sense. So it was late September when this outbreak happened, right? Which means you're heading into cooler temperatures, even in the south, especially at night. Um. And and you don't necessarily need the fungus to spread its tendril network underground or above ground or whatever. You can have it happen through hosts. Um, yeah, just running like and biting the and infecting substrate. people. Right? We provide yeah. all the substrate it needs in that case. Yeah. See, so, so you get somebody flying in from from Jakarta to uh, where where was he? I know he was in Texas. Austin. Austin. Yeah. Um, flying from Jakarta to Austin and. They bite somebody, they bite three other people, they bite 10 more, and suddenly you've got an outbreak on your hands. So I, I think you can do it even in the hotter, drier climates. Yeah, especially since these, so- these spores can just survive almost anything. Like this grain could sit in a uh, a silo and it gets 180 degrees and the spores are just chilling and then it gets inside that nice, warm, humid uh a human body and fucking goes nuts in a matter of, of hours. Yeah. So, and again, again, I don't know that this stuff is going to necessarily strictly make sense from a scientific uh-huh. point of view. Um, but I never understood that there was large parts of the United States that are just kind of okay in the game. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that they would let Boston be in the state it's in. If that were true, yeah, there wouldn't be any kind of rescue operation. Like again, maybe not in the immediate. Like when you're still bombing the fuck out of cities right, and trying to stop the spread. Years. But twenty years, if there's like a thriving colony of people in fucking Albuquerque, and they're just like, ah, <laughs> right. eh, fuck those coastal fucks. Yeah, uh-huh. fuck everybody west of the Ro- or east of the Rockies. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Doug L. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this week's episode and was pleased to learn my family would have had a leg up on the fungus post-apocalypse. My wife has celiac disease. I think that's how you pronounce it. And as such, consuming even a microscopic quantity of gluten will result in a digestively disappointing day. Mm -hmm. means in our house we have to avoid wheat and flour like it's plutonium. The condition is believed to affect at least 1% of the population, so that means between 70 and 80 million people would have a slight edge in avoiding the initial effect, uh, infection. That's worldwide, not, of course, in the United States. Now, of course, we're chubby people in our mid-40s, so we probably wouldn't last too long. I don't know, Doug. I'm hearing you're drought and famine resistant. I'm mm-hmm. hearing that you are naturally immune from the primary vector of this fungal disease, and you have a good six to eight weeks of supply on your body. That you yeah. can you can just head off into the if you can purify water you're going to be just fine for months. You are you're like Blade. You're the Daywalker. You you, uh-huh. you you guys have everything you need to survive. Uh, oh, but then he says our four and seven year olds are loud enough to attract every clicker here in Southern California. Well, you know mm-hmm. those kids. That's that's a that's that's a that's a liability in the zombie apocalypse. Any zombie apocalypse. 
Uh, Andrew says, I'm a show-only fan here. Watching the group walk into darkened buildings got me thinking. When you know you're going to be exploring buildings without power, you're going to be walking through many dark rooms and halls. Why wouldn't you have attachments for your flashlight to increase your field of vision? Seems like their flashlights were so bright, but only lighting a limited area. Flashlight attachment seems like a no-brainer for this type of exploration. One for a wild field oh, wow. of vision, low depth, one tight beam for longer range, one red filter for military-style ops, or just to preserve your night vision. Look, one star, One starry kaleidoscope for trippy fun. The list goes on. Maybe the game goes into this, or maybe I'm way off. Um, the, the last Cabela's closed, like, <laughs> minimum 15 years ago. <laughs> Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to Dick's? Are you going to go? Yeah. Where are you going to get your attachments for your rifles and your flashlights? I mean, they were making do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, like, it's a show. And, you know, like, uh, the, if the game had floodlights and whatnot, you it wouldn't be as scary. It wouldn't be as much fun. That's true. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just the rule of cool. If everyone had, like max tactical flares and floodlights and like 360 degree like night vision guy like it's it, it wouldn't be as scary as it is when you've got these tight beams of light just stabbing pools out of the darkness you know mm-hmm. uh yeah it's 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 part of the design but you're right you're right they could they could probably come up with better better lights uh even in the game like i, I was expecting them to break out those little 90 degree angle flashlights because in, in the game they've got like a mag light that's got a 90 degree head on it that Joel can like clip to his backpack strap so like he's hands free and it still is able to mm-hmm. you know anything he, he anything he moves his torso at he's able to to see but um, also one of my favorite things to do in the game is to shine lights in people's eyes and watch them react to it because the last of us models that like if you sh- go up and blast Ellie in the face with your high beams she'll like kind of flinch and shield her eye. it's fun to nice. annoy the NPCs just like by getting in their face and shining the light right in them and mm-hmm. seeing what they do uh, Bradley from Texas says why didn't Joel take the fireflies truck that was parked right outside the state building it's recently used Probably has plenty of gas. If Shoal Joe is really laser-focused on getting to Tommy, that truck seems to be conveniently gift-wrapped. Couldn't find the keys. Doesn't know how to drive stick. Interior decor, a little too much blood for his liking. It's hoping to show would offer a better explanation as to why it wasn't an option for him and Ellie to fire up that bad boy and drive right past Bill uh, and into episode four. <laughs> what do you... Th- I mean, I, honestly, this is... I got this a couple of uh, in a couple of emails, and it's the one huh. kind of plot hole that doesn't make sense. Like, they established the truck was disabled or destroyed for some reason. Like, they wrecked it into a stone pillar and then piled out because they had disinfected on their ass or something. But, yeah. I assumed it was destroyed in the grenade and, and kerosene or whatever, the grenade and gasoline explosion. Because um, if you look at that explosion, they... they Joel and Ellie ran out the back of that building and the back of that True. building blows the fuck up. Uh, so and if you look at the be... inside of it, yeah. uh, where they were standing with Tess, they were kind of in the front lobby. So that's a really big explosion. And in my opinion, it probably destroyed the truck. Hmm. But, I mean, but that, they don't make that explicit for sure. Yeah. I feel like, I, uh, also, again, the infected was... are probably still out front of that building. I could be. I don't think they can get to it, let alone mm. you know it's still intact. Yeah, some people said like, why didn't he run to the truck as a first response? I'm like, ah, you've got a minute to go. 
Like, I don't and the know, man. Or headed in from that direction? Yeah. Yeah. I, like, that seems like a big fucking risk that you can get out yeah. there and get the car started. Because, like, yeah, what if there is a problem? You know? Uh-huh. Uh, it could be as simple as, like, oh, you know, Fireflies, as a matter of course, take the negative battery, uh, uh, the terminal off the battery because there's an electrical <laughs> problem and otherwise it'll go dead in 30 minutes, you know? So they, that's just what they do for all their big military trucks. It's like, then you're <laughs> fucked. Like, I, I yeah. So right, I, right. I, they could have done a little bit something better to show why that wasn't an option because you could see that in the first episode, you know, uh, Joel's kind of drooling over all oh, these Firefly trucks. They're going to be ex-military and they're going to be super reliable and well-maintained mm-hmm. and uh, and here's one and they just, they just fuck off. But I, I think, I yeah, I, I'll go with the exploded theory or it's just on the other side of the building or yeah. it's overran with, you know, whatever. I, I think I can I can go with that. I will also say I think he was super excited about the Fedra truck too because it provides camouflage for them. Um, True. That they're they're potentially able to pass themselves off as Fedra at a glance uh, if yeah. if they were to you know come across the authorities or something. It's one of those things where it's like thin camo. Like if you uh-huh. you might totally. at a glance, but like if you get any kind of attention, it's going to be worse. You know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that, that that could be too. Uh here is where we get to the spore lore section of the podcast. So anyone that's not a game uh player should probably uh take your leave right now. Uh we will be back this weekend for another instant take, instant talk podcast. Uh immediately after episode airs, me and Jim get on uh our microphones and turn on our cameras and we get on and talk to people. Uh it, we record it live right around 10 o'clock or whenever the episode uh, ends. And if you want to join us live and have your voice heard uh, through YouTube chat anyway, not literally heard, we'll read your words and that's how they'll be heard. Uh, Go to support.baldmove.com where you can sign up for a club and get access to ad-free feeds as well as our interactive instant talk and take episodes. Uh, People that just listen to the public feeds uh, just have the first half of the instant take. They don't get the instant talk portion. But you can watch us record it live and participate if you're a club member. Check into that, support.baldmove.com. Otherwise, tlu at baldmove.com is how you submit feedback to this here podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash baldmove. I think that's it. I think that's all the stuff you need to know. Uh, again, multiple people have said episode three is like an early standout episode. I'm very, very excited to see it. Hopefully, we'll see a lot of you on Sunday night. But we're going to get into the spore lore edition now. Last chance. Last chance to get your Fedra truck and get the hell out. Now, when we go to the ad, make every shot count. We'll be back with more of Savage Starlight. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeny. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. 
Find Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them, or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. Okay, Greg's up first. He says, the episode completely ruined one of my favorite aspects of the game. Joel successfully sneaking while Ellie runs around, bumping into zombies and making noise, but the zombies <laughs> never reacting to her. Uh-huh. <laughs> so th- Her and Bill and Sam and Henry, yeah, all of them. One of the things The Last of Us was hailed for is being one of the few escort random NPCs through dangerous environments that doesn't make you hate the NPC. And... They did that by essentially making Ellie incapable or whoever is the NPC incapable of triggering a zombie, uh, any of these infected when you're trying to sneak through. Now, that's a right play because if, if every time oh, Ellie yeah. bumped into something, the clickers were on your ass, you would just want to murder her and they want you the to The game would protect. be unplayable. It'd be unplayable and it'd be a miserable affair. But it does lead to some hilarious shit where like mm-hmm. Ellie will just obliviously be standing in full view of a clicker making noise or even sometimes having a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, because if you like go into the quiet zone and she's still talking her dialogue, she'll just be merrily doing it while you're desperately hiding from the clickers. It's it's pretty it's pretty funny. But yeah. I wonder if they will do something like that where Ellie will be oblivious to a clicker and just like it doesn't react to her and they'll, and they'll like and Joel's like I don't know you must be the luckiest girl and it'd be funny for game people for sure I right. I don't know but it might we'll break see. the immersion if you're just watching it yeah yeah uh we need special features on the Blu-ray of. Abella Ramsey being video game Ellie and just bumping into clickers and then mm-hmm. not doing anything. Denise said Aaron mentioned uh, the scene in museum where the glass cabinets and silhouettes were a nod to the game's listening mode. There appears to be another nod later when at the Capitol building before Joel opened the back of the cargo truck, he held his ear to the truck momentarily as if going into listening mode. Hmm. It's interesting, yeah, how they're using some of these game mechanics. Just sudden, not drawing attention, but kind of subtly. I like that. And, and changing them slightly, right, to, to where they would make sense in the real yeah. world, in a TV show. Because in the game, you just hold down the button and you suddenly see through all walls. It's like right. a, it's almost like a clicker vision thing. Yeah. Um, where you are using echolocation to see. But in yeah. the show, obviously, they're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I always got it to where it's not like an extra sensory perception. It's more of like the game cannot give you this type of 3D sound cues that you would get in real life. So, right. so they translate it to kind of visual yeah, information. Like if you slow down and close your eyes and like really 
strain your hearing, you can maybe get the idea in a way. Yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. also not like a huge range. No. It's, it's very limited range. but And only when the enemies are moving. Yeah. Things like that. Or, yeah, or talking to themselves. To be, or... They have to be making sound for them mm-hmm. um, to, 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 to detect that. Uh, JR says, I think the TV show is going to answer a huge question that the games never did. What is Ellie and how did she become immune? Over a 20-year span of the outbreak and the hundreds of millions of infected of people by cord- the cordyceps fungus, no one other than her has exhibited any immunity. At a key point uh, on Ellie is that she's an, in fact infected and is not free of the cordyceps. It's just dormant in her brain. In a Fireflies research facility, you can see Ellie's head x-rays or MRI scans showing it infecting her brain. The surgery they want to perform on her is to get at the brain cells surrounding it and remove them and to try to figure out why they're able to stop the fungus from taking over. From that research, maybe they could figure out how to get cells and other people to do the same. What may be a significant reference in the show, or a significant difference rather, in the show from the game is Marlene's prior relationship with Ellie as a baby. It's interesting reveal that Marlene just happened to be in a position to not know, just know baby Ellie, but also put her in a specific orphanage where she could keep an eye on her and a huge coincidence that Ellie becomes the sole immune person on the planet. The fact that Ellie's mom is going to be in the show makes me wonder if it's going down a path that has Ellie being somewhat intentionally created to be immune, and that flashback interactions between her mom and Marlene will show how this is done. I don't know oh. how I feel about that. Yeah. If, like, Ellie was a deliberate engineered experiment to try to breed a resistant oh, human. yeah. Um, yeah i'm I'm not kidding i i don't think they're gonna go that way that seems like uh, a pretty big deviation from the game plot because the game plot is just like hey we found out this girl is immune somehow take her right uh, to the to the fireflies who will try and develop a cure but like I, you said it is a big coincidence that this baby that marlene the leader of the fireflies Huge. took a spe- special interest in happens to be the person that's immune um and also it'd go a long way to like maybe why the fireflies feel like they have ownership over ellie because that's always the thing like you know there's a lot of moral consideration about the end of the game and what is the right choice and all that and i've always sided on like you at least should try to get ellie's consent for this procedure maybe you at the end you say well you know what it doesn't matter and we're just being polite but like as it turns out they probably would have gotten that and then everything's I, I all nice already and neat. had in some ways gotten that i i don't know How? I, because the entire game ellie is like yeah i want to do this um but she doesn't i don't think she knows that it will result in her death but right uh yeah yeah it's borderline that's, and that's what that's makes the ending so good yeah, and that's the other reason I think some of the times the fireflies are full of shit because like you really just going to go right to carving her brain this is the only living resistant person and you're not going to like do all the non-destructive things you can before. Right. So like I you know um, I, I I do think that like if they though if, if they have a whole bunch of children out there that they've it's placed for this this particular purpose that maybe that makes them feel like oh well this is just our experiment and it's come back to us so we can do whatever the fuck we want. I, uh-huh. I don't know, but like I feel like, oh, this could get off the rails pretty quick if they are literally going to where they had some bioengineered program. Like, what the fuck? If why is it taking fourteen years? Why did you do the one? Or if you did it just to one girl, 
you know, why did you do that? Like it's, it's it, it, it almost asks more questions than answers, but and, and why have... did you send her away from the heart of your organization for 14 years and then try and get her right. back? Yeah. Cause yeah, she's safer know. in the quarantine zone. What the fuck does that How? say about the fireflies whole operation? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I don't think they're going that way. Yeah. I don't know. What does it say about the, or the fireflies organization? They're taken down by the world's angriest stepdad, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's just a video game and that's the answer. So I, Look, I, I think he had a flamethrower and he was willing to use it. So damn straight, damn straight head to the light motherfuckers, <laughs> uh, like moths to flames. I, 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 I wonder if they will, I, I don't know. I think they should tread carefully, but I also have enormous uh, faith in Craig and Neil that they're not mm-hmm. going to do things that step too far wrong, you know? Yep. Uh, Tyler P says, hey, guys, just finishing listening to your instant take, and you were wondering how Ellie and Marlene knew each other. This is actually answered briefly in the games where Anna, Ellie's mother, was friends with Marlene. If I remember right, going back to pre-outbreak times, it's also heavily hinted in the note that Anna wrote to Ellie that she died in childbirth, and then Anna likely wanted Marlene to look after her once she's gone. I'm hoping we get a lot more of this backstory answered in future episodes since it's only mentioned in a few lines of dialogue from the game. Based on the trailers where we see Ashley Johnson, who of course plays Ellie in the games, holding an infant Ellie, it's looking like this wish of mine will be granted. Um, and that's like, I feel like this stands in conflict from the email above. It's like, this doesn't mesh well with a bioweapon that's been, you know, that's For been sure. in, in, intentionally uh, developed. Um, but it feels like a a more likely story uh as i see it developing i agree i agree um but yeah like i um i forgot that ellie's mother was because i don't i've played the original game a couple of times uh i've only played the expansion once and it Mm -hmm. was back when i played it the original time you know yeah is that on a ps3 or is that a ps4 Uh uh-huh ps3 Right, so this is going back to the PS3. So I don't have a lot of, like I said, I I thought this was kind of new information, but apparently not. So, um, I'm curious how they. I I love the fact that they are integrating Ashley Johnson. I think that is great, and I know mm-hmm. we are going to get some backstory, but I just don't know about the whole engineered bio thing. And we have one more feed piece of feedback, but it is classified as super spore lore. This involves some material from the second game. Uh, so if you haven't played the second game, you want to go absolutely blind into a potential second season or the game itself. I highly recommend you get out now because we're going into the Super Spore Lore. This is the Nintendo Super Nintendo version of the game. No, uh, it's the Last of Us Two spoilers. Okay, enough jackassery. Henry says, "Did you guys notice that in both episodes there's a prominent shot of a butterfly near Ellie?" In episode one, where she's sitting next to the window waiting for Joel to wake up, there's a big blue butterfly sticker. And in episode two, when she's waking up in the beginning, there's a big butterfly flying around her. Butterflies, Hmm. of course, were a big motif in The Last of Us Part Two. You've got the loading screen, Ellie's tattoo that covers her scar, the big butterfly logo and the guitar that Joel gives her. I'm wondering if they're going to keep this Easter egg going in all future episodes. I just want to throw this out there in case it shows up next episode and it's solidified twice as a coincidence. Three times is a definite pattern. They never came out and explained what the symbolism of the butterflies were in part two, but I likened it to a moth's obsession with light, how they approach it even at their peril, kind of like Ellie's obsession with vengeance. Anyway, curious to know Hmm. what you guys think. What do you think about the, the Easter egg of the uh, butterfly? And what do you think about the meaning of the butterfly? Well, the butterflies are, 
typically associated with growth or change, um, you know, in their various states. Yeah. And I think that's probably what they're doing with Ellie over the course of those two games. Um, I'm going to say less butterfly, more savage starlight. They cannot, (laughs) they cannot go deep into the game two stuff before they get to all of the game one stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it is nice that they're setting that stuff up. I, I think you're right. The, the butterfly is more, I always think of butterflies in terms of agents of change. And in uh-huh. The Last of Us 2, Ellie's literally on the cusp of, you know, no longer being a little girl and being a woman in her own right that's going to start a family of her own, that's going to fall in love, that's going to establish their own homestead. Like, this is a transformation. This is a growth. You're no mm-hmm. longer the caterpillar. You're now the butterfly. Um, there is also the association with kind of like moths and butterflies that they, the, the flames, but also the game putting butterfly as her kind of symbol shows that she is willing. She's capable of making a transformation and change. And maybe the way that Joel wasn't, you know, some of Joel's way he lived his life and, and taught her to live life are not conducive to being able to make changes in how you view the world. You know, Joel's kind of set in his ways, but there's still hope for Ellie mm-hmm. that she can, you know, put away this obsession with vengeance, this tit for tat, this constant one upping of bloodshed and violence. And that's where you're left. That's the moral conundrum at the end of the game. You know, yeah. can, can Ellie do that? Uh, I love some of this early show stuff that they're doing um with joel like saying why why are you pretending like this girl can have a life uh that that might come into much better contrast later in perhaps the season two or three uh when we get some of the more hopeful elements yeah some of these sometimes we're gonna have to start we're gonna sit down and talk about our thoughts on the last of us part two because i don't know how they do the last of us part two in two seasons because imagine if you took yeah. a year and a half off in between the flip between Ellie and Abby, it uh-huh. just wouldn't hit as hard. It wouldn't hit as hard. Uh, Agreed. I feel like they're going to have to do like one super season that just fits everything in. Yeah. Or find a, a different way to break it up, but it's to where you're doing both seasons that are full of Ellie and Abby. Um, I don't know. Oof. I don't know. I, I want to go play that second game again before yeah. season two comes out. For sure. I'm I'm definitely I don't remember a ton of it. Give it a play. Yeah. I just think that like you the the because the way the only way The Last of Us Two works, because I, you know, when they do that flip, I was very much against it. I was like, uh Oh yeah. I, I remember the first hour or two, I was constantly looking to find ways to graphically kill Abby. You know, it's like, it's like if I, before I went in action sequence, I'd make sure it's like, oh, let's see you get torn apart by clickers. Let's see this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I just like was so angry with her, but like you need that extended period in her skin for the spell to work. Yeah. To where you're kind of like, maybe you're not allegiance shift, but like, you know, it's like that. It's, it's like you don't judge a person until you walk a mile in your shoe, in their shoes. Well, you get to walk hundreds of miles in Abby's shoes and you can't help but understand. You might not agree, condone, or do anything, but like, do you mm-hmm. agree and condone with the things that Joel did at the end of the first game when you finally see those events from Abby's eyes? Like, he seems like a fucking right. monster. Just like this, the worst kind of Luddite, uh, 
you know, like just like the religious fanatics that they find on the what is that Vancouver Island? Like, mm-hmm. I think you're supposed to understand that like Joel is a direct analog to that. And I just don't know that works if you take a significant amount of time or if you're constantly like if the game had you play a little bit of Abby, a little bit of Ellie, a little bit of Abby, a little bit of Ellie. I don't yeah. think you would ever switch to where you start feeling sorry and sympathizing with Abby and then to see Ellie as this kind of vengeful monster. Uh, I don't think that shit works. So I hope that yeah. they, I mean, I wish I, that they could make six seasons of this. I just don't know that it would, right. it would work. No, I think TV has better ways of switching POV or more seamless ways of doing like simultaneous POVs that audiences are more accustomed to. Um, and I can see them doing some simultaneous you know, within an episode uh, where you're seeing both Abby and Ellie doing their thing. And so you're starting to identify with both of them. And so when a conflict, when the conflict between them finally comes to a head, you don't know who you're rooting for. I, I could mm-hmm. see that happen. Um, and, and you're going to start out with, you know, Ellie is the protagonist, Abby is the antagonist, right? Uh, oh, of course. But but I think it would be super interesting to see both their POVs at the same time and kind of looking at where they might cross over. Like, well, I'm starting to feel, you know, I'm just starting to turn to Abby's side here a little bit. I see why she's doing the things she's doing. But like yeah. in the game, it's a lot harder to do that, I think. You don't want to be even- switching POVs back and forth. But in a TV show, you can do it pretty easily. Yeah, and and even Abby gets a little of that where like she eventually befriends this outcast of this religious cult that's persecuted and killed a lot of her people, and like you kind of learn the mini yeah. lesson by going through that. Then you learn a macro when Abby and Ellie finally come back into conflict with each other. Do you think they're gonna have the sequence where you climb that tower and you I end hope up like so. in the sky? Because that's a fucking cool set piece. But I fucking hope I don't so. know if it's realistic. We'll see um there's so many great so many great set pieces from that second game but yeah yeah, i uh i do here's here's another grenade to roll into the fan (laughs) the last oh boy we are years away from a last of us three last of us part three if if almost certainly like you know five to seven years if they started because i i think this is kind of like i got ideas for it kind of stage what that neil and the other creators are at what would be the odds that Neil is like, well, we could, I could just write it. We could make the series. We could make the season, the last of us part three. And it comes out in a TV show. It comes out in TV form three years from now. And the game will come out for two to three to four years later. And you'll have the reverse where like the video game guys had the advantage and gals had the advantage. And then it switches to where. So it's the experiment that George Martin is doing with game of Thrones. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Just in video game form. Do you think Neil feels cause like I kind of walk away from his podcast feeling like, I don't think he feels like video games are the prime medium. I think he's a real storyteller and he is so far used that brush, use that medium to tell us stories, but he seems to, think that like oh this is another valid way to tell that i i don't know it'd be tempting. And i get the feeling that he's kind of enamored with television um that, yeah. he, that he sees the merits of it and 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 where like it kind of shines in ways that video games can't and vice versa like he yeah he understands both mediums now and the fact that he wanted to be even more involved but like eventually like his duties at naughty dog to where like you know he couldn't direct more than the one or however many episodes he directed and right 
I wonder if that. Yeah, I don't because I I could I think the video game people would fucking seethe if that. I mean, happened. it's possible they're they're a couple of years into development on the Last of Us Three. It's yeah. possible that like if we extend, you know, if you can do two seasons out of part two, um, and they're a year and a half apart, now you're looking at like three four years between by the time you get done with this show and if they're already a couple years into development maybe this could hit at the same time as the season three yeah i don't know because a lot of video games don't don't even get announced until they're they have something to show which is uh, at a scale like this multiple years into development yeah yeah yeah. maybe it's possible they could hit at the same time but I, i don't know it'd be super interesting if they released the tv show like season three last of us part three and then the game came years later yeah i would love to see that experiment i see as a person I don't who think likes it would both be mediums great. i wouldn't care i think it would be fine uh-huh. um, and i would look forward to playing part three when it came out but I, I imagine a lot of game players would be pretty fucking pissed because that's i mean let's face it us totally. gamers are pretty fractious uh you know fractious and wayward lot we are quick to take offense and have massive chips on our shoulders and i think there's a little bit of an inferiority complex to traditional hollywood to where like that which would, is absurd you, you fi- guys you, we're you, we've made yeah. it we don't have yeah. to we don't have to feel like less than at this point we're Gaming arguably is a thing. the dominant culture yes yeah like right? give it 20 years for the boomers to die off and everyone will be playing video games literally like they're the mm-hmm. you know the it's the boomers who are the dying the last of us that, that don't get video <laughs> games so yeah like we need to stop doing it but I, I was like this is widely hailed as the first successful video game like the fact that hollywood would just yoink and run with it i don't know it might piss it might piss piss Mm. people off but the other thing is like what if 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 you could say for a certain thing naughty dog would never do a last of us three because whatever you know uh the money's not there they they want they don't they're like if if you could know for a certainty that they wouldn't then i would have no problems at all with doing more last of us stuff just with tv absolutely yeah and can they could they stop neil Druckmann if he's like you know what I just want to tell the story on TV. And could yeah, Naughty I bet Dog Naughty be like, Dog owns CIP. I, uh, I don't so they have they to that. be involved with like, you You can't, you have to have a game to adapt before you can just tell a story in our universe. Or you have to at least get our permission to yeah. tell more story in this universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, that'll do it. Uh, again, I invite everybody in the spoiler edition also to send feedback to us, tlu at baldmove.com. Uh, if you'd like to get involved with our uh, spoiler, or I'm, I'm sorry, our, our instant take, instant talks, do I do would like to ask, uh, just like we do fans of House of Dragon, Game of Thrones, if you are participating in those, be careful how you ask questions. The the instant take and talk is not your your place to like show off your game knowledge and all that stuff. We are trying to protect a 60% of our audience that has not been spoiled. So yeah. let's make sure everyone has as good a time with this as we did playing the games originally. But yeah, I'd like to cordially invite everyone to participate with us on Sunday nights. Support.ballmove.com is where you want to go if you want to find out more about that. T-Lou, T-L-O-U at ballmove.com is where you want to send feedback. And we will see, hopefully, you guys on Sunday night for the instant take. If not, we'll see you for the full, fully leaded uh, deep dive into the episode three. So it's supposed to be a banger on Tuesday. Whenever we see you next, until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>